be turned to a text yet. I'm just going to make a couple of comments before we get there. <clears throat> just really trying to discern the direction the Lord wanted me to go uh, this afternoon. And the direction we're going to go is not at all what I had in mind uh, initially. And so there are several thoughts here that we're going to try to pull together. But just something that the Lord, I believe, pressed upon my heart to just talk about this afternoon. And not because this is something that's a problem per se, at least not visibly, but something that could be. And we always need the Word of God to remind us of things, amen? Amen. To stir us up by way of remembrance, even when we have a pure mind. It needs to be stirred up by way of remembrance. And, And so, I'll tell you the direction we're going in just a second, but I think I want to have you sort of guess the direction we're going. I'm going to read something to you. You tell me uh, with some feedback what this is, all right? It is something that is often left to fester, acting like a slow poison which gradually seeds envy, jealousy, anger, and defensiveness. Left too long, this thing often gives rise to vicious arguments full of hurtful words, the kind that leave deep and lasting scars on relationships and which may ultimately precipitate their end. What do you think that is talking about? What's that? Bitterness. Bitterness is exactly what that is talking about. It's a slow poison that can gradually seed envy, jealousy, anger, defensiveness, and when left too long, becomes a thing that ultimately will leave not only deep lasting scars, but can also kill and destroy. Bitterness can grip a person's heart and they don't even realize it. Bitterness can grip a person's life to the point of controlling it in the way that they think and certainly in the way that they act. It can creep into our lives in areas that we would say, oh, I'm not bitter. But in reality, when you get to the root of it, we really are. It can happen towards other people. It can happen in families, towards parents, because of past dealings, because of past, quote, trauma in our life. We can be living now and we can operate, be operating from a position that is actually rooted in bitterness. The way that we respond, the way that we react, the way that we think towards our parents can actually be rooted in bitterness. It can happen towards friends, people who were once friends. Now there can be strife. There can be contention in a once good relationship. 
but now there's only strife and contention and the relationship is all but over because of a root of bitterness somewhere that is not addressed, that is not acknowledged in life. And we can be operating in life. Well, this is just the way it is. We can agree to disagree and we're just going to go our separate ways or we can have responses towards our parents, towards other people, and it's just the way it is. But it doesn't... What is not being addressed is why is it the way it is? Why is it this way? What is causing these reactions? What causes this kind of response? Not only can it grip our life in the way that we respond to others that we once had relationships with, but, but bitterness can also uh, eventually destroy your, your own health because of the stress that comes along with things like this. Literally, this is, this is, this is scientifically proven, <laughs> if you want to, to get technical about it. The stress eventually causes the inflammatory hormones like cortisol to be released in your body and left unchecked and working its way through your system eventually can, can affect your organ functions and all kinds of other things. It's not just something mental. It, bitterness can literally destroy not just relationships, but your own body. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, if you'll turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, the Bible says, looking diligently, be on guard, be aware, be very diligent, be looking. Why? Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. There is no good that ever comes from bitterness. It only defiles and it only destroys and we need to be on guard and we need to be looking diligently lest we fail of the grace of God. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. Lest that root of bitterness springs up. A lot of times we're not even aware of it, but we're operating from a position of bitterness that we have not acknowledged. And I want to talk to you about this issue of bitterness. But I want to talk to you about a man in the Bible, who let bitterness into his life and it ultimately cost him his own life. And let it be an example for us today. I want to talk to you about a man named Ahithophel in the Bible. And I want to tell you the story of Ahithophel as we walk through it in the Bible. But before we do that, we need to understand that the story of Ahithophel is set in the days of rebellion and turmoil in the nation of Israel. David is king. David has sinned with Bathsheba. David's son, Absalom, at this point in time, and we'll look, I'll look at some of this here. Why don't you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. David's son, Absalom, because of 
God's judgment on David. God told David that the sword would never depart from his house. It was part of what David would reap from what he had sowed. David's son Absalom has been exiled from Jerusalem for organizing the murder of his stepbrother Amnon because of Amnon's violating of Tamar. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, in verse 28, the Bible says, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him, fear not, have I not commanded you? Be courageous, be valiant. Look at verse 37. So, obviously, Amnon is is killed. And then in verse 37, the Bible says, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon seeing he was dead. So Absalom plots the murder of Amnon for what he did to Tamar. Amnon is killed. It causes Absalom to flee. He's gone in Geshur for three years. And the Bible says David's heart was longing for his son. He had been gone for these three years, but now, by the time you get to chapter 14, the next chapter over, Absalom is permitted to return to Jerusalem. Look in chapter 14 and verse 23. The Bible says, So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and he saw not the king's face. So Absalom is allowed to return to Jerusalem. He's just not allowed to see David, his father. What happens next is that upon Absalom's return, to Jerusalem, he begins plotting and scheming to usurp his father's throne. And eventually, Absalom begins to make his move. He thinks that he's in control of the things that are happening. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 2, we can read several verses here. Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment... Then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, (coughs) I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. 
But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. What we find here is, and the Bible says the king went forth and all of his household, and he only left ten women, concubines, to watch his house. This is the setting, this is the context that Ahithophel comes to the scene in. This setting of rebellion and turmoil in Israel. And you notice how Absalom, the Bible says, came to Ahithophel for counsel. So I want us to understand some things about Ahithophel. Was he friends with Absalom initially? Why did Ahithophel come to, or why did he give counsel to Absalom? All of those things. Well, we need to understand, first of all, Ahithophel's position. If you look in 1 Chronicles chapter 27, just keep your place in 2 Samuel. We'll be back here a lot. But just look in 1 Chronicles chapter 27. I'm going to set the stage here through the story, and then we'll get to the point of the message here in just a little bit. But I want to set this background and and the, the stage for what's actually taking place here. In 1 Chronicles 27 and verse 33, the Bible says, And Ahithophel was the king's counselor, and Hushea the archite was the king's companion. The king that the, the Bible is referring to is David. And so Ahithophel is David's counselor. That means that he is like this with David. That means that, he's, that he is trusted of David. He is in the inner court. He is in the inner circle. And Hushea was the king's companion. This was Ahithophel's position. He was the counselor, trusted advisor of King David. Notice also Ahithophel's reputation. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 16. And look in verse 23. 2 Samuel 16 and verse 23. The Bible says, The counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracles of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. What do we find about his reputation? That his counsel was considered to be on par with the oracles or the word of God. That was his reputation. 
Therefore, it was obviously of great concern that when you, we'll get to this in a little bit, that now Ahithophel is advising Absalom, the one who wants to kill David, it becomes a great concern for him. And part of the reason was because he had such a reputation among the people of good counsel. He was a powerful person, influential person. But then I want you to go to 2 Samuel 15 because I want you to see his defection. So his position, he's a trusted advisor, he's a friend to David. His reputation was that he gave good counsel. He was trusted in this area, 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 12. The Bible says, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. What we find here is that Ahithophel is not in Jerusalem with David anymore. He has gone over to Absalom's side, who is conspiring to kill his father, to take his throne. Now, what happened? How did he, Ahithophel, go from being this loyal, trusted advisor and friend to David to becoming an enemy of David. How did it happen? I want you to notice some other things. I want you to note his counsel that he gave to Absalom. Look in chapter 17. So he's defected. He's not the loyal friend of David anymore. He's giving counsel to Absalom who wants to kill David or take his throne. In chapter, and notice the counsel that he gives in chapter 17 and verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee and I will smite the king only, and I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all return, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well, and all the elders of Israel. Notice the counsel. Ahithophel advised a lightning military strike that was aimed directly at David and Ahithophel says, I'm going to kill the king. The end of the story for Ahithophel, though, is not a good one. In chapter 17, look at verse 5. Then said Absalom, call now Hushea, the archite also, and let us hear likewise what he saith. Now remember who Hushea is. He's the companion of David. That's what we read in 1 Chronicles. And so Absalom is saying, okay, Absalom, or Ahithophel, I hear what you're saying. Let's get a Hushea too. He was the other right-hand man of David. And let's see what he has to say. Verse 6, And when Hushea was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel hath spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. 
And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds, as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit, or in some other place. And it will come to pass, when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. And he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered to, uh, to gather, or, excuse me, be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and thou go to battle in thine own person. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground, and of him and of all the men that are with him there shall not be left so much as one. We can read on further in this chapter, and I want you to, well, let's go back to chapter 15. Chapter 15, because I want you to note something about Hushea. Hushea was a loyal friend of David. Hushea was actually sent back to Jerusalem as a spy. In chapter 15, in verse 32, the Bible says, And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, behold, Hushea the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head, unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now also be thy servant. Then mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. So you see what's happening here. Hushea is actually sent back to Jerusalem by David as a spy. So now when Absalom comes to Hushea and he says, well, this is what Ahithophel said to do. What do you think we should do? It was at that point that Hushea said, no, that counsel's not good. And what was he doing? He was actually giving David time to regroup. He was actually giving David an opportunity to escape from Absalom's hand. But I want you to go back to chapter 17. And I want you to look at verse 12 again. Because his counsel to Absalom is this. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth. We read that. Verse 13, Moreover, if he be gotten into a city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city, and we will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushea the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Then said Hushea unto Zadok and unto Abiathar the priest, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now Jonathan 
in a Himeaz stayed in Enrogal, for they might not be seen to come into the city. We don't need to finish reading all of that passage. My point in reading this to you is that Hushea's counsel was designed to give David and his men some time to regroup and to escape Absalom's hand. We needed to talk about all the time that would have taken to gather all of Israel together and all those numbers and all of those things. The point I wanted to draw here was that eventually Ahithophel, when he found out that his counsel was not received, well, the Bible says that he went and killed himself. Look in chapter 17 in verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. What a tragic ending to a man's life who had been once a very close friend and advisor to the most powerful man in the world, King David. What happened? How did he go from being that trusted friend to hating David, to wanting to kill him, and then end up committing suicide? Where did that betrayal come from? And here's where we want to get to the point of the message, because there's some lessons that we can learn from this man in his life that are very relevant right now and very applicable for you and me. Look in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. In verse 19. The Bible says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A brother, a brother, a friend, a companion, a close one, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Ahithophel was like a brother to David. Ahithophel ended up betraying David and taking Absalom's side. And the question was, how did that happen? And what we need to understand is that there's more to this than meets the eye. There's more to this story. And what we need to keep in mind that Absalom's rebellion is tied in with God's judgment upon David because of his sin with Bathsheba. The sword would never leave David's house. This was... this. Absalom's rebellion is definitely tied to that. And I want you to consider the following. First of all, consider Ahithophel's relationship to David's sin. What relationship does Ahithophel have with David's sin? Well, look in 2 Samuel 23. Second Samuel chapter 23. And look at verse 34. The Bible says, Eliphalet, the son of Ahazbei, the son of Maacathite, Eliam, 
the son of Ahithophel the Gilanite. All right, so we have Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Now look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And look at verse 3. The Bible says, And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And the point that I'm trying to draw out here is that Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. Bathsheba was Eliam's daughter, and therefore that makes Bathsheba Ahithophel's granddaughter. You know what happened. And you understand that that sort of a thing could really cause some serious negative reactions on the part of family members, right? You understand? Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. How did this trusted advisor friend of David go to the place of wanting to kill him and hating him so much? I think we can start to see where Ahithophel's bitterness toward David and eventual betrayal of David comes from. Ahithophel's counsel that he was giving Absalom was counsel that was fitted for revenge against David. Look in 2 Samuel 20 again, or 16 rather. 2 Samuel chapter 16, and look at verse 20. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you what we shall do. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. In the sight of all Israel. This is what Ahithophel told Absalom to do. And I want you to note the connection here with David's sin because this is exactly, exactly what the Lord said would happen. The Lord said to David, what you did in secret is going to be done openly to you in the sight of all Israel. And that's the counsel that Ahithophel gave to Absalom. Ahithophel's bitterness then goes beyond that and begins to work fury because chapter 17 and verse 1 says, Moreover, beyond that, in addition to what he already counseled Absalom to do, the Bible says, Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night, and I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee and I will smite the king. He wasn't content just to counsel Absalom against his old friend, but now he wanted to personally kill him. What a tragic, tragic story. And I want to make this application and we'll even bring it to a conclusion in just a little bit. But I, wanted, I laid all of that to say that Ahithophel is an example to us 
of the end result of the root of bitterness. Hebrews 12.15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The end result of bitterness in the life is always tragic, but it happened because Ahithophel missed the mark on some things. And I want to tell, talk to you about those things. What is it that Ahithophel missed the mark on? And here's the truth of the matter, friend. The truth of the matter is, is that offenses are going to come in life. Offenses are going to come in life. You cannot get around the fact that people are sinful. You cannot get around the fact that people are imperfect. You cannot miss the mark that people will hurt you. They will. And you will hurt people. First of all, Ahithophel missed this. He failed of the grace of God. Hebrews 12.15 said, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, and particularly the last part of verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Why do we have the forgiveness of sins? It is according to the riches of God's grace. It is of God's grace that God has forgiven us of His sins, of our sins. Amen? And offenses in life are going to come. People are going to fail. People offend other people. It is going to happen. You're going to offend. You're going to hurt. You are going to hurt and offend other people just as often. But listen, listen. We don't, we don't want to put as much emphasis on the things that we do that offend other people. We do like to focus on how we've been offended. And what other people have done or said, or how they've behaved, or how we've been treated, or a series of things over a lifetime with this person that has caused me to think and act and say and, and behave the way that I do. Offenses are going to come. But the offenses that are given to us, or our offenses rather toward God, are far greater than any earthly offenses that we receive. And why are they far greater? Because God is holy and right and He's perfect. We are not. And listen, we have our forgiveness from God because of the riches of His grace. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let all bitterness be put away from you and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God 
for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Why do we have the forgiveness of God? Because of the riches of His grace. What does Hebrews 12 tell us? Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. What is the basis for our forgiveness towards other people? It is God's forgiveness towards us that enables us, by the riches of His grace, to be forgiving of others. The same grace is available to us to be forgiving of others. When someone we care about hurts us, we can hold on to anger for the thing or the series of things. We can hold on to resentment. We can even have thoughts of getting even. Or we can embrace the grace of God that is available to us. And we can have a heart of forgiveness because of what God has done for us. Ahithophel failed of the grace of God. It was a terrible thing that was done in his family. That was done to one that he loved, his granddaughter. But he let that root of bitterness spring up in his life. And it ultimately ended his relationship with David, but it ultimately ended his own life. Secondly, he failed to let God deal with the situation. He failed to let God deal with the situation. Look in Romans chapter 12. And these are principles that we should take to heart, friend. When it comes to offenses in life, we can fail of the grace of God as well. We can be so caught up with the situation, we try to take things into our own hands, and we fail to let God deal with the situation. Romans 12, in verse 19, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You've got a choice. To be overcome with the evil that's been done to you, or overcome the evil with good. And he says, don't don't give place to wrath. Don't give it a spot. Don't give it a position. Don't give it room in your life. Ahithophel failed to let God deal with the situation. And the truth of the matter was that God had already rightly judged in David's case. He had already passed judgment. And God is the, the, the just and righteous judge of all. God had already dealt with it. Ahithophel didn't need to. But you know what? When things happen in our life and offenses come towards us, we have a mindset that instead of letting God handle the situation, instead of letting God deal with it, we want to work to, to either uh, you know, bring back the good name that we have. We want to either work to get revenge on their life or, or this, or this. Understand this. 
We can look at somebody and we can say, you know, in my mind, in my mind, that person needs to feel this and they need to feel it more. What right do we have to decide? We're not the judge of all. But because we don't see what we want to see, we can start to get some idea in our mind. And as that goes on and it's left undone, we can become angry. And that anger can turn into something else. But you know, here's the thing about bitterness. Bitterness can feel worse than anger, even. Because it involves a feeling of helplessness. Bitterness can happen when you feel like there is no action that you can take because now everything is out of your control. And there's nothing that you can do to manipulate the situation or to make somebody do something. And the truth is this. Many times you can't change what happened. Ahithophel certainly couldn't change what happened. And that feeling of not being able to change what happened can leave you feeling bitter. But here's what you can do. Even though you can't change what has happened, you can leave it with God. And you can take action in your life that moves you forward in your life and away from bitterness. He failed of the grace of God. He failed to let God deal with it. God had already rightly judged. And Ahithophel wanted to take matters into his own hands to get revenge. Another thing is that Ahithophel let bitterness control his life. Somebody might say, well, wasn't he justified? I mean, it was his granddaughter after all. Well, you know what? When you consider this whole situation, what was the counsel that Ahithophel gave to Absalom? The counsel that he gave to Absalom was counsel to sin. A right-thinking man would never counsel to sin. The counsel he gave to Absalom was blatant sin against God. Plus, he had deluded himself into thinking that somehow Absalom would prevail against David when God had already determined the consequences for David. But this thing controlled his life and his thinking. But you know what? The same thing can really happen to us, and we don't even realize that bitterness is the root. I've got these feelings towards an individual, and it's because of things that have happened in the past, and it's a series of things that have happened in the past, and I've developed this mindset towards this individual, and now, listen, there's only contention, there's only strife, there's all of these things, and it's just, it is what it is now. But in reality, what we might want to check up on is there might actually be a root of bitterness there that stems from way, way, way back. And it's now causing me to respond and react the way that I do. 
It's not being dealt with. And it's actually controlling your life. Because it controls what you say. It controls what you think. It controls how you behave. Or we. There might be something from your past. There might be something in your family. There might be something with a friend of long ago. But it's all different now. Why? What's the root of it? And we can feel justified. We can feel justified in our behavior. We can feel justified in our thinking. Because after all, they were wrong. Right? But in reality, it's ended up controlling our own life. That's what happened with Ahithophel. And his bitterness ultimately ended up destroying him. He ended up committing suicide. But you know what? Such is always the case when we don't handle offenses with God's grace. In the end, it will always destroy us. A root of bitterness springs up and eventually ruins and destroys. You know what? Even, even the smallest things left unchecked can eventually poison the soul. We may not conspire to commit murder because of an offense, but we might give a cold shoulder, right? We might determine I'm just not going to ever talk to that person. It might end up as hatred in the heart. You know what? That sort of thing is the same thing as murder in God's eyes. Bitter roots will always produce bitter fruit. And sometimes, you know what needs to happen? We need to do some personal evaluation, right? First of all, what is my part in this? Secondly, we need to leave it with the Lord. But a lot of times, a lot of times, offenses happen because of misunderstandings. And if there was a heart of humility that said, I want to get to the bottom of this, I want to communicate and communicate well, a lot of times offenses can be cleared up by just some good communication and some humility of heart that helps us to realize there's no reason to be offended at all. But because we won't, this smallest little thing, this misunderstanding, this offense, has now become, it's grown and it's grown and it's been magnified and now we're way over here at a place of bitterness in our heart toward that person over something that wasn't even true. That's what can happen. And it ultimately destroys you. Bitter roots will always produce bitter fruit. And God has given us a proper way to deal with offenses. And it's through His grace. His divine enabling. God's answer is to surrender to Him. To let it go. 
If we don't learn how to handle the offenses of life and take advantage of God's grace, eventually it's going to bring ruin into the life like Ahithophel. Again, I'm not saying that this is a problem that is seen. But I think whenever a church goes through something traumatic, when you go through something traumatic in your own life and relationships with people, there is a real danger because there's not agreement everywhere. There is a real danger of letting things start to fester. And when they fester, what do they produce? What do they do? It brings, it acts like a slow poison, which gradually seeds envy, jealousy, anger, defensiveness. And left too long, bitterness often gives rise to arguments full of hurtful words, the kind that leave lasting deep scars on relationships and which may ultimately precipitate their end. Let's be on guard. Amen? Let's be on guard. Let's look for the grace of God. Let's operate in a way that, you know, for Christ's sake, God has forgiven me. And so I need to be, by the grace of God, able and willing to be forgiving Maybe, just maybe, there have been some things in your life from way past, way in the past, and it's causing you to act and behave the way that you do towards certain people right now. I'm not bitter. I don't have any bitterness. It's just the way it is. Really? Maybe there's some communication that needs to happen, some self-evaluation that needs to happen. See where what's causing it, what's really at the heart of it. I don't know if that is a little bit unorganized in some of it, but there's a lot of thoughts being put together there. But I hope you got the point. I hope you got the admonition. We need to be on guard. We need to be watching. We need to be careful. Let's not let, amen, let's not let a root of bitterness spring up and trouble us. And let's not let Satan get an advantage of us. For we're not ignorant of his devices. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you'd use your word here just to encourage, to remind, Lord, to strengthen God's people. And if there's a particular application that needs to be made, Lord, I pray that you would make it in an individual heart. Lord, give us your grace for victory. And the grace of God can overcome anything. It overcomes all my offenses towards a holy God. And you can enable us by your grace to overcome any offense in our life too. In Jesus' name, amen.